few weeks ago, I was I was reading a post on a, a social media site that is kind of focused around like local things happening in the community, things that are happening, uh, you know, just just all around. And and one of the posts that caught my eye was a little story about uh, some problem with shoplifting that had been happening at a large retailer in town. And I know I made okay, I made a mistake. I started reading through the comments. At this point in my life. I should really know better. I know better. I did it anyway. I started to read through the comments on an anonymous social media site where people could post whatever, and I should just not be surprised at what people are willing to post. But you all know you do it too, right? We all love a good train wreck, and we can't keep our eyes away. So first it kind of starts, it's mostly innocuous. It's, every, you know, it's the, the usual, like, well, here's how they can solve this problem, and here's what you need to do. Or here's... But then I noticed that there was some people on the site that were like, they were defending the shoplifters who were doing it. And I was like, well, that's weird. Why are they, that's really strange. And it was more than, more than one. And it was kind of like, this is, this is really odd. And what, what they were saying is like, well, you know what? This is just one of those giant mega corporations. They make so much money anyway. It's not really a big deal. And so we, it's totally fine if they're, if they're stealing from those places. Now we would, you know, they, they, they had a whole justification. And, and so the appearance of the moral code was, well, we would never do this to like a local mom and pop, like a local place. But for this, it was totally fine. I was like, this is... I was shocked. I shouldn't be shocked, right? Because I, I've done, you know, been around long enough to know I shouldn't be shocked. But I was shocked at the audacity of, of like what I was seeing there. And to be fair, there were others on there who were saying, like, this isn't right. This is never, you know, all right, we don't justify those things. It's not okay. But that was, I was still just, just shocked by what I was seeing, right? I don't know if they thought they were kind of the modern day Robin Hood. But, you know, in that story, he, he gave it to the poor and gave it away and didn't just keep it for what they needed. But regardless, the truth is that these issues of moral choice, of temptation, of evil and injustice, they're not just stories that we tell about other people, right? Because every single one of us is faced with these choices ourselves. We're faced with these places where we have to go face to face with opportunities to do the wrong thing, where we're tempted to step outside of what we know is, is, is right. And the reality is more than ever, the world around us sees truth as completely relative. Right? Each person is doing what they see as right in, in their own mind, in their own eyes. They're, they're, what, what, what's based, their morals are based maybe just on what they're feeling, what the group around them that they're connected with is telling them is right, what makes them more popular in that space. And what's often missing in this whole place is this understanding that there's actually real evil in the world. And maybe even more importantly, that there's actually something behind that evil. And over the last month, we've been in this message series where we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, which is found in Matthew 6. And this prayer is so important because it helps us uh, understand how to bring our prayers to God, how to approach him with all the things that we're going to face. But it also helps us have a better understanding of the reality of the world around us. And today, we're specifically going to look at this section near the end of the verse in chapter 13, which says this, and this again is Matthew 6, 13. It says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And all of you are really excited right now. We're like, wow, this, this is a fun one. This is a nice heavy topic for us to take on Sunday, isn't it? It's gonna be great, I promise. Stay with me. Now we're gonna look at this part of the prayer more closely because we wanna look at what temptation and evil, what do they have to do with the life of a Jesus follower? 
right? Because if Jesus died for us and, and he, he defeated you know, the evil one, why do we still have to deal with temptation? Why do we still have to deal with that evil? And if we do, how can we partner with him to overcome the evil that we do have to face? But before we do that, let's just, let's just pause. Would you pause with me and let's pray. Invite the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, we're, we're so thankful that you're already here, that your presence is here, God. And we ask that you would come today. Would you reveal to us, would you guide us, show us what you have for us today. Be our teacher, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So why does the Lord's Prayer talk about temptation and evil, right? You've got the rest of it, it's talking about the Father and the kingdom and our daily bread and forgiveness. But then it comes to this part. Well, see, the Lord's Prayer is an equipping prayer. It's equipping us and positioning us in the reality of our faith journey of what we will have to face that we will have to face that temptation. We do have to face an actual evil one that we would refer to as, as Satan, as behind that evil. See, the story of the Bible, it reveals that there is very much a corruption that's happened in our world because of sin and Satan. And we see the result of that in things like sickness, and death, and disease, and addiction, and abuse, and trauma. But it's also manifested in things like the moral and ethical choices that we have to face on a daily basis. And this prayer is revealing that we all are going to need God's help to be free from the one who's behind it all. <clears throat> Satan's influence, sometimes it can be subtle, and it's hard to see at times, but it's all part of something that's a bigger cosmic or spiritual battle that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Now, did you know that, that when you look at leading research, in, in church research today, there are a large number of people who would profess to be Christians who struggle with the idea that Satan or even true evil is actually real. And I understand that. I understand how we can get that. But that's a, that's a, it's a very real understanding. It's a, it's a complete shift in the worldview. When we look at a biblical worldview and what we see there, that's a big shift to understand that that's not there. Now, on the other side of that is a whole different side. There's a whole other side that says, I completely believe in it. It's 100% there. And I'm living in, in this place of fear that anything I touch, anything that's not perfect, it's going to corrupt me. And so they're always feeling like they're in this place of danger. And so there's kind of these two extremes that we have to deal with and understand. But God wants us to give us a better, a clearer picture. And he does that, actually. And that's one of the reasons he includes this in the Lord's Prayer. Now, as we, as we look at that, there's a, there's a challenge for us because we have, to, we have to stop and we have to shift. Okay, it is really easy to put these things outside of ourselves. See, we can all hear the stories of, of people stealing something, taking things that aren't theirs, and we can all be like objectively understand, like, that's, that's not right, that's, that's not evil, right? They, they clearly fell into temptation. Don't steal is one of those that's generally a fairly easy ethical decision in most cases, and sometimes it is easier to see the way that the, the enemy's at work. It's easier to see those things that come about, right? Things like, like stealing or death or sickness or disease or pain and trauma. But then there's also this, this temptation side, this temptation to step outside of those things in the choices that we have to make that are sometimes moral and ethical choices that come alongside of that. And those can be sometimes a little less obvious. You know, maybe it's like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, cheat a little bit on this test. I just got to fudge a little bit. My, my grades need the help. It's only going to affect me. It's not a big deal, right? You know, maybe, 
you know, you're gonna fudge your hours just a little bit at work, get a little bit extra overtime in there. Bills are really piling up. I really need the extra money. You know, maybe when I make that sales pitch, I just I might misrepresent the competition a little bit, right? We have a really good product too, so they're gonna get something good in the end either way. It's gonna be fine. What if it's, I'm lying to my spouse about that emotional affair that's happening at work? You know, I'm going through a really tough time. I don't want my spouse to be hurt, but I just really need this extra support and comfort that's bringing me because I'm not, I'm not getting that at home. See, we're tempted in lots of ways that seek to take us away from God's very best for our lives. And we often, we seek to justify those things. We make to them appear smaller, right? Maybe we even actually appear to make them feel like maybe they're actually a good choice in that process, right? See, Satan is a deceiver and a liar, right? So when we let ourselves be influenced by him, when we're tempted to be influenced by him, what, he's, what often happens is the fruit comes out of that. The fruit comes out is that we deceive ourselves or we deceive those around us in that process. So as we've been learning about the Lord's Prayer these last few weeks, it's clear that so much is packed into each of these sections that we've looked at so far. But what about this section that talks about the, the, the temptation of evil? And it says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, there's a, there's a good question that might pop in your head first here. It says, is it saying that God is the one who leads us into temptation? And we're asking him, don't do that? Because it can kind of sound that way, but... We know that can't be the way that this is to be understood. And how can we know that? Because we can actually look at other places in the Bible to help us understand the interpretation here. In James 1.13, it says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So this is really important for us to understand. The reason that it's really important for us to understand is because we get into this place, if we believe that God is the source of temptation, the source of the one who brings us all those, those, those bad things, he starts being the source of our hurt and our pain instead of our hope and our restoration and our joy and our salvation. So we need to understand that we get to live on this side of the victory that Jesus paid for on the cross. He actually overcame that. But what this is trying to help us understand is that we will be tempted. I will be tempted and you will be tempted. It's going to happen. And God wants us to understand that in that, when we're tempted with any, whatever, name the thing that's in front of you. Where's the choice that you're asked to be made that's taking you on a different path? It's anything that's trying to draw, draw us away. Temptation is anything that's trying to draw us away from God's best plan and purposes for our life, right? It wants to take us off of that path. Temptation is a diversion in that place, right? And we know this that Satan even tried and attempted to test and tempt Jesus in his own life, right? There's a, there's a whole story. I won't read through the whole story. I'll give a quick, quick summary. In Matthew 4, just a couple chapters before this Lord's Prayer, we see uh, that Jesus gets baptized. And right after his baptism, he's led by the Holy Spirit out into the desert. And for 40 days, he fasts like nothing but water. And at the end of that, Satan comes to tempt him. And he tempts him first because he's in this place of, of physical hunger. He begins to tempt him uh, with, his, with bread, with hunger. Like, I'll, I'll provide what you need. 
right? So Satan's trying to put him in this place where he's gonna provide those things that he needs. And then the second test he tries to give him when, he does, when that doesn't work is he tempts him to test God's power. Jump off the highest point in the temple. You know what? Test God's power. He's gonna, he's gonna come. He'll send his angels to protect you. Well, that doesn't work. And Jesus says no. And finally, Satan tempts him said, Jesus, if you'll just bend your knee to me, if you'll give me the glory, if you'll worship me, I'll make sure you have all the authority and riches you could ever imagine. Now, none of these worked, but there's three things the enemy hit Jesus with, and these are gonna be important for us today, is with hunger and power and glory. Now, in each of those, Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was firmly rooted in the foundation of God the Father and his word. So he had the word. And so he knew the deception that the enemy was bringing. He knew the lies the enemy was trying to bring at him. See, temptation is real and it has a source in the evil one. And this is why the prayer makes it clear, we have to have God's leading to avoid putting ourselves in places of unnecessary temptation, that we need him to lead us in those places that take us away from temptation, away from the evil one. And because there's temptation, that indicates that there is evil, right? Again, so we're understanding here, it's important that our worldview understands there is something real here to deal with. And this part of the prayer that we're, we're looking at today, recognize that temptation has a source. We still have to face it today. And God is our only hope for deliverance, right? So it's Jesus who gives us this prayer and it's Jesus who becomes the source of that deliverance for us, right? He understands that we are our adversary, Satan. He's been defeated by what Jesus did on the cross, but he's not yet departed. What does that mean? What does defeated but not yet departed mean? Okay, I wanna talk a little bit about our worldview and this idea of the kingdom a little bit. So stick with me because this is important. It's important foundational things for us to understand as we understand how we live it out, right? Because our theology is important. Our worldview is important in how we actually live our daily life. And so I'm gonna talk about this idea, this defeated but not departed. What it means is Jesus did defeat him, uh, Satan on the cross. Jesus comes in, he ushers in a whole new era of the kingdom. His ministry, if you look at the gospels, Jesus talks about the kingdom all the time. He's talking about the rule and reign of God coming back. He's restoring the rule and reign of God, Jesus' kingdom, his justice, his righteousness, his salvation, all those things that, that, that are available in the kingdom. He's saying, I'm ushering those back to be made available again by correcting what sin corrupted. And in that, he's also recognizing that, that Satan is real, that Satan was part of that corruption. But what happens is the kingdom is ushered in. There's still this kingdom of darkness. And right now we live that at the end of this, we talk about Jesus coming again and his second coming. We'll see it fully come. And that is a place where the kingdom of darkness goes away completely. But right now we live in a battle where the cross brings the kingdom and we still have the kingdom of darkness. So the kingdom is available, but we're still in a battle. Does that make sense? Are you with me? All right, keep staying with me. We're good. This is, this is really helpful as we, as we walk this out. So this is a kingdom worldview, and what we call that is, is the cosmic battle worldview. That just means that there's this bigger, it's an understanding that there's bigger spiritual battle that's happening all around us, and the Bible is revealing to us what that is and establishing in us how we live that out in our life. And the tension of that battle is best understood by, by this, the understanding that God is in charge, but not in control. Now, before you start throwing stones, because that may not sound right. That doesn't sound right, Mike. What did you say? Let me, let me walk this out a little bit. Let me help me understand what I'm saying. In the big picture of what God is doing in the world, he is in charge, and ultimately his will will be complete and final, and in, in, in the end, 
God's will happens here. In the midst of that, God says also, I want to have a relationship with you, right? I want to have an authentic relationship of love with you, my children. And the only way to do that is to allow us to have free will. Free will means we can make choices that are not in alignment with God's will. So when we're tempted, we can make choices that don't line up with God's will. And sometimes we see then God's will delayed or pushed back because of the choices that we make in the midst of that. Because God's not micro, like a microcontroller of every single decision and choice that you're making. So because we've been given that, those, that freedom of choice, we've been given, or that freedom of will, we've been given the freedom of choice, which means we can make choices. The Lord's Prayer recognizes we will be tempted because of that. So in that, that kingdom here, but not fully here, we call that the already and the not yet. Does that make sense? God's kingdom is already here and breaking through. The kingdom of heaven, it becomes available to us, but we're still in a battle and sometimes those things don't happen because humans still have free will. There's still free choice being had. We're fighting that battle. Ultimately, we know he's defeated. He's just not yet departed. We know the final end game and the final result. Now, illustrate this play. Let, let me uh, talk about something. We'll put it in something concrete like healing, okay? We love to pray for healing around here. At this point in my life, I've probably prayed for hundreds, maybe thousands of people uh, to see prayer through the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit empowers us to bring that. And this is where the Lord's Prayer becomes so important, right? So we pray the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from the evil one. And maybe a better way to understand it in, the, in this context of healing, we say, deliver us from the effects of the healing one. So when we're praying for healing, we're praying for people to be delivered from something that doesn't align with the kingdom of God now that already peace. See, that sickness and death and disease, they don't exist in the kingdom of heaven. So we're praying for something to, to, to be aligned with that reality of the kingdom of heaven. And so I've seen pain from 30-year-old injuries go in just a few prayers. Uh, I've seen legs grow. I've seen hearing restored. I've seen infertility healed. I've seen cancer completely clear up. We've seen amazing miracles. That's the already of the kingdom, right now breaking through into our world. But I've also seen others who've passed without ever receiving their healing. We've seen parents lose their kids. We've lost loved ones and coworkers here, even in the last year, who lost that battle. Many of you have experienced that loss too. Many of you, maybe you're experiencing it right now. See, that's the the hard part. That's the, the not yet of the battle that we are faced with today. This isn't just theological. It's not just an idea to think about. It's something that many of us are living with right now, right here. Jesus, he speaks to this. He understands that. He understands that he is this, what he, he's bringing, this hope and this life. He speaks to it in Lord's Prayer. He speaks to it in other places that help us understand this. In John 10, 10, this is what Jesus says, he's speaking here. He says, the thief, which is Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I came, Jesus came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Church, we have to understand that we are in a battle. We are fighting for the inbreaking of God's kingdom to come in life and healing and hope and joy and peace against all of the things that the enemy wants to bring and disease and division and injustice, all of that stems from the work 
of Satan. This is what Jesus is trying to speak to us. He wants us to be equipped. He doesn't want us to be naive to what we're facing. And this is something that's both very personal and it's also very corporate. It's happening around us, but it's also happening to us and in us as we deal with this. So how do we overcome the evil that we're facing, right? We have to understand just how good the good news of Jesus is first. See, in in church, this is where the enemy, this is a battle we're all facing, facing in our own mindsets. Oftentimes, we can be overwhelmed with all of the bad news that we're seeing around us, all of the terrible things, all of the injustice, all of the things that we have to, to experience or we're watching or we're seeing happen to the people around us or even to ourselves. And it's easy to get discouraged. Satan is a liar. He's always trying to make his work bigger than anything, than what it actually is in reality. The truth is that God is so much more powerful than anything Satan can throw against it. And what Jesus did, his victory on the cross, it truly was a victory for us. It is truly the source of how we get to overcome. See, our trick though is we don't focus on what Satan is doing. We focus on what Jesus is doing. And that's how we become people who are bringing that life and joy and hope and peace to us and to those around us. And this is where we see this beauty that Jesus has laid out in the Lord's Prayer. Stick with me. This is all, it's so understand, we understand we're in this kingdom, this cosmic battle, that kingdom worldview, right? We understand how Jesus has come and had brought victory. And he's telling us here as he lays us out in the Lord's Prayer, and he's laying us out this position, how to position our lives to address the temptation that we are going to face, to face the evil one who is going to come against our life. Remember, we get to live in the victory of Jesus' life and ministry, his victory over over death and the grave. And because Jesus already overcame that temptation of Satan, when we pray this prayer, we're positioning our life into that victory. This is really important. How we are positioning ourselves helps us address the things that we have to face or that come against us. Right? So the Lord's Prayer is a model for how we get to put God in his proper place of authority, of provision, of power, and as deliverer in our lives. It positions us to overcome. So when we talk, remember when we talked about those temptations of Jesus just a few minutes ago where he was tempted? He was tempted with three things that are really important in our relationship and positioning with God, right? In hunger, in power, and glory. And so in the prayer, he's positioning us to face temptation and evil by knowing where we get our hunger filled, where true power lies, and who should receive all the glory. So let's, let's go through this. What is this prayer doing? Let's look at the whole prayer here just a little bit, right? So let's put God the Father in his proper place. Our Father who art in heaven, right? He's in his proper place. Hallowed be your name. You get the glory. You are the one that is worthy of my worship. We're putting God in his proper place right there at the beginning of the prayer, right? And then what is it? We seek his kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That is the source of true power. It's where his kingdom come, where those things come to earth. That is where true power lies today. Where do we get our hunger filled, right? Give us our our bread, our daily bread, our daily provision, our grace for today. It comes Our hunger is filled through Christ, through what God has positioned ourselves, right? And then last week, we talked about this idea of forgiveness and why is forgiveness so important. First, it tells us what God has done for us, right? That we're forgiven. We've given a a brand new identity in Jesus. And in that new identity, we also give away. 
Because we've been forgiven, we also forgive. Really important. Because those, those places of unforgiveness in our life are places where the enemy can bring a hook, where he can bring temptation, where he can bring those things that distract us and pull us off course from where God wants us to do. And in all those things, now we have a foundation to face temptation and evil that is grounded in the king and his kingdom. Are you with me? We know who God is. We know where we fill our hunger from. We know where the power in our life should be. We've been forgiven. We forgive others. And now we are positioned in him to face temptation and evil, to face whatever the enemy wants to throw as, and he will throw a lot. And I want to share a testimony today that actually is a great example of somebody who was faced with that temptation, who lived in the middle of that battle in his own life. Uh, and this is the testimony of Brian K. Stain. He's a, Brian is, a, you see him with his father here in this picture. And Brian's a, a member of our Sullivan campus. And he shared this testimony that I want to read to you today. Many of them know him as BK. So if you hear me say BK, that's Brian. He said, I could spend forever and a day telling facts about my life that could detail and paint a picture of how terrible or rough my life was. And a lot of that would be true. It's true my biological mother left and wasn't present for the majority of my life. It's true that I was bullied in my early adolescence and that I felt rejected, neglected, and unaccepted by my family and friends a lot. It's true I was emotionally and mentally scarred or damaged at that time. I was a hurt person who was hurting other people. Anybody else felt, ever felt unaccepted, rejected, bullied? We can all relate in some way to where BK was at. And this is really important to understand because we talk often about this idea that what God does in us, he wants to do through us, right? That's part of that fruit. Well, did you hear this, this statement he made at the end is really important. I was a hurt person who was hurting other people. See, Satan loves to take what God has meant for good and he likes to twist it. So when he brings that hurt and that rejection and that trauma and that pain, what happens is that often it flows out of those who've experienced that hurt and that rejection, that pain. And other people experience the same thing that's come into them and they reflect that out into the world. This is the way Satan loves to twist things. He goes on to write, it's true that I began using drugs and alcohol to feel accepted to fit in with those around me. The enemy had been attacking me since before I can remember. The enemy had been exploiting my need for love and acceptance. He attacked and corrupted my faith and belief in God. And the enemy isolated me from my family and friends and my father in heaven. Do you hear this positioning of the Lord's prayer being twisted and moved apart? Right? He needed to feel accepted. He was hungry to be accepted, to be loved. And drugs and alcohol became the thing that the enemy put in front of him to fill your hunger and need with. He filled it with things that would numb the pain. He filled it with things that create addiction. He exploited that. The enemy exploited that. And then what did he do? He corrupted his faith and belief in God, right? God's supposed to be here in authority and here. And what happened is that he exploited that. He moved it off. No longer was God in authority over his life. And then he was isolated. Church, this is so important. When you feel yourself being isolated, know that it's a tool of the enemy. That's not from you. This is always a big red, as a pastor, this is such a big red flag when I see that happening. When people are isolated, because the enemy wants to take you away from the people who will bring hope and joy into your life, the people who are carrying his spirit, the people who are carrying you know, the solution that can help you. 
He wants to isolate you from all of that. But when Jesus invites you into connection and relationship with him, he always draws you into relationship with his people, with his kids. That's the path of the enemy. He continues to write, but God brought me out of my pain. He delivered me from my addictions. God set me free from the bondage of sin that the enemy spent so many years trapping me in. The enemy is a liar, but the word of God is the truth. Romans 8, 28 says, for we know all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. I was once a slave to sin, but 1 Corinthians 9, 19 helps to remind me, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And this means I'm a slave to Jesus Christ and the price that he paid on that cross is worthy of all my love and devotion to the furthering of his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. God has transformed my life and renewed my mind. He has restored my life and relationship with my family. And most of all, he has restored my relationship with him. What's amazing to me about this testimony is he, this testimony was written completely independent of this message. I was actually looking for a testimony and, and I was talking to one of our pastors who shared this with me and it was like he was writing the message alongside me. Do you see the power of the Lord's prayer here? The positioning that, that God wants in our life, the restoration that happened, happened as he became right in his relationship with God. He stopped being isolated. He found his hunger being filled from God, which allowed him to be in right relationship with those around him. Right? His hunger. He found where power truly lied. His hunger, his power, his glory. He gives his worship, his glory back to God the Father. All those things are that place where God is positioning us. He positioned BK back into a place where now he's able to face us. And he still has battles to face in front of him. He's currently in those battles right now. But the victory God has given him, the positioning God's given him, have now positioned him in a place where he can actually see victory. Where he can actually go after those things. See, we pray, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one so we can know he's given us his Holy Spirit to continually give us daily victory over the work of Satan. Church, nobody does this alone. We are not called to do this alone. The kingdom is not a me kingdom, it is a we kingdom. We are all here today because we are part of a we kingdom. This isn't just a great idea to come and have a good service. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you love the worship. I hope you hear something today. But we come together because God knows we are better together. Because we experience him in this. As we put him in his proper place, we experience that love of the Father. But we also experience it as we do life with one another. We do this for a purpose. We have hope. Last week, I was driving uh, down to our Sullivan campus uh, for church, and I was driving, driving along, just driving down the highway, you know, and I got distracted by a sign that was on the side of the road, and I started looking at it, and I started reading it more closely. I was trying to see what it said, and all of a sudden, like, my truck has one of those, like, lane sensor things that all new cars have today or whatever that, meh, they're kind of annoying. But all of a sudden, I was like, meh, I was like, oh, oh I'm driving off the road. I'm about driving off the road. I like, thank God, because I was out in the middle of the country. I was going to go right into the ditch. See, that happens to us all the time in our faith journey. Right? The enemy just wants to distract you. He wants to, he wants to bring temptation. Hey, why 
why don't you focus on this thing over here? And when we do, we begin to drift. We begin to drift off the place because I took my eyes off the road. I wasn't going where I was supposed to be going or keeping our eyes on who God says that he is. Where are you drifting? Where are you being tempted to drift right now? What's distracting you from focusing on what God has? In 1 John 5, 4 through 5, God reminds us that we have a hope to overcome. He continues to drive this point home. It says this, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. In this case here, the world is those things, that temptation, it's the evil one. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? This is the gospel. This is the good news. We can overcome. See, we don't have to be, be overcome because Jesus never was and never will be overcome. We are positioned in him. We're positioned in his victory. And every single one of us is facing temptation today. But Jesus says what? Keep your eyes above, not below. The enemy wants you to keep your eyes below on the things that he wants to attract. Off to the side, he wants to pull you. Jesus says, keep your eyes above because in that you're positioning yourself to know he is God. He gets glory. Our hunger, our power, and our glory. Every single one of us is facing the evil in our world. And it's testimonies like BKs that remind us that we have a good God, right? It's Satan who's been defeated. He's not departed, but his demise is already decided. We do not live our lives in fear. Instead, we can be confident in Jesus. He's here to steal and kill and destroy. And he has an assignment to take us out. You know, all our, our youth are are not here. You see our big, our big empty seats over here because everybody sits in the same seats. They don't even sit there whenever they're gone, right? Because we sit in our same spots. That's who we are. And they're down there. And the, and the theme of our Reverb Youth Conference, we do regional, there's 330 students from churches all across the Midwest. It's amazing. Here awesome testimonies. And I've already got a report. I was talking to Samuel, our, our worship, Samuel Kirsten, our worship, we were texting this morning, and uh, they've already got a counting of over 100 deliverances that have happened. Do you know that the enemy has an assignment against that generation, against Gen Z? And what we see happening in places like Asbury and the ways the outpouring that God has there, God has a plan that is way more powerful, that is way bigger, that is way better. We do not have to live in fear. The enemy is real and evil is real and we have to understand that. But we don't have to live in a place of fear. Church, we are the salt of the world. We bring the flavor. We forget so often and we think we're the main dish, right? All that salt from that evil is going to get in and it's going to flavor us. Get your worldview straight. Understand who God says you are. Be the salt God's called you to be. That is who we are. We can trust him. We can know his power. We can trust him with everything we need to to be delivered into his life and his victory. That's who Jesus is. That's the battle that we face. We're all facing those places. We all know we're facing temptation. We all have a real enemy that we have to fight against, but we are not doing it alone. We have him. We have his victory, and we have his people around us because we're not a bunch of defeated sinners walking around. We are an army of saints walking in the victory of who Jesus has called us to be. Amen? Amen.